Really enjoyed that music this morning. I'm going to invite you to open your Bibles to 1 John, 1 John chapter 2. And while you're turning there, let me just uh, mention um, a couple things. Uh, one, if you think we have a wedding later on, all right, I failed to point this out at the family business time, but we had this wonderful young couple down here. Um, Bob's in a tuxedo and Beth is in, is that your actual wedding dress? All right, so it's their anniversary today. And uh, how many years? 22, all right. You just wanted me to do this behind the pulpit, didn't you? Yes, yeah. 22, okay, all right. For those of you younger crowd, that was a very bad Nixon impression. And uh, so uh, congratulations to you guys. Yeah, thank you. All right. Well, uh, what I'd like to do before we get into the text today, um, we're actually going to spend quite a few minutes before we get to the text, is I want to uh, highlight something that we've been doing on a regular basis, and, but I want to call it out and do it on purpose today, and that is uh, we have come up with a, a series of principles that we value. And I don't know what you think about these principles that we value. We put them out on a, on a sign out in the foyer there. We, we, we talk about them. I, I'm highlighting them during the prayer time each morning. Um, and there's one particular one that uh, strikes me as, as uh, important for me to just call out today, and that is the idea of gospel motivation. Why, why do we talk about this? It's gospel motivation. The gospel is for everyone at every moment, every person at every moment. I've got to make sure I get the, the right terminology, right? Why, why does that matter to you? And why, why do we say this? Is this a, a, a cool new modern church thing that we're supposed to do? You know, have these different slogans, these different sayings, and hopefully people will rally around. No, this is putting Scripture into a common language of the day for us to understand that what gets you out of the bed in the morning matters. We've, well, I've, I've touched a couple times on, on John. John. John's very passionate about his faith in Jesus Christ. He's very passionate about the gospel. It's what gets him out of bed in the morning, figuratively speaking, and it's, it ought to be what motivates us. Are you motivated by the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ? So I want to just uh, encourage you that as we as we say these different principles, it, it's really with the intent that you would be able to uh, hear them enough to where you would actually find yourself thinking them on your own as you go uh, through your, your daily business. So what I want to do as, uh, as a way of building off of, of this principle that we value, this gospel motivation, is to ask, I'm going to have you ask yourself a question. All right, I wrote it in the first person. So you can ask it yourself, but I'm asking you, ask it quietly and respond quietly, all right? I mean, if you're so moved, I guess you can, you know, but, but you might disrupt someone who's really contemplating this question. This is a, and I'm not joking. This is a very serious question. This honestly might be the most important question we've ever asked ourselves or that some people will ask themselves. And so I'm going to ask you to honor it. You know, it's that, the whole flashcard thing. You know, what's the first word that comes to mind? Uh, so I'm going to ask, ask this question, and I need you to answer it right away because it's important for you, right? Here's the question. Am I a child of God? Say that to yourself. Am I a child of God? I know I am. Are you? Think about it. 
There's people that ask this question. You know, we just sang those songs about the sparrows, right? Uh, Michael played that beautiful piece. God's eyes are on the sparrow, right? Then we, when we looked at the Scripture, and, and, and we're, it's recorded for us, Jesus is saying, listen, you have all kinds of struggles and trials and things going on in the world, but listen, God is caring for you every step of the way. But there are people who are struggling with life and they're asking themselves the question, am I a child of God? Who asks such a question? Do you think atheists are asking this question? No. Are you thinking agnostics? No. Are you thinking of uh, 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 Muslims? Uh, no. Are, are, what about Confucianism? No. Nobody's asking this question unless there's this idea of a supreme being and, and they call him God. As Christians, we can say, this is the, I'm talking about capital G God of the Christian uh, faith of the Bible. Am I a child of God? People ask this question because life is telling them differently. Life is beating them down. Their sin is dragging them down. And they're asking this question, am I a child of God? It's really a yes or no question, Right? And that's why you, you probably, yes. I mean, I heard, actually heard one audible, yes. I mean, that's okay. I didn't need more, right? Well, yes. And then there's the no. And, and, and can we not respect the integrity of those who are not Christians who would say, are you a child of God? No. Based upon what I understand, no. But for many people, it's actually a little fuzzier because I know there was a point in my life where I say, I think so or I hope so. And then there are those that are, just, that are being honest too. I, I'm not sure. That's a great response, by the way. Are you a child of God? I'm not sure. Well, let me explain to you how you can know that, you can, that you're a child of God. All right? So let's do that. All right? So uh, how do I know if I am a child of God? So uh, I, I, only because I'll forget to do it later. In 1 John chapter 2, in verse 3. You may remember a number of sermons ago. Uh, it was First uh, John uh, 2, 3 says, Now by this we know that we know him. Remember, I asked, how do you know that you know? How is it possible to, to know what, what is so important and vital? And it says, now by this we know that we know him if we keep his commandments. He says, he who says, I know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar. And I'm not going to preach that whole message again, but I'm saying, you know, uh, Paul is, is uh, when he writes a book, he, he kind of has a title, uh, a, a, a main thought, and then sub-thoughts, and then he goes down, and it's very organized. John, John's just a passionate preacher. He's got structure, don't get me wrong, I'm not diminishing him. I'm just saying, in his passion, he kind of goes uh, like in concentric circles, you know, he kind of hits on a topic and then lets it sit for a little bit. Then he hits on it again and then he lets it sit a little bit. And, and John, is, he's, already, he's already talked to us about knowing what we know. And, and, and he's, now we're engaging in this question, how do we know that we're children of God? Or how do I know that I'm a child of God? John's going to explain some of this to us. But before we do, let's just go ahead and cover the gospel. Because if we're going to talk about being a child of God, we ought to for those that might answer, I don't know, or I, um, or no, or let's just explain to them how this all works, all right? Have you received Jesus as your Savior? That's Christianese, right? Christian terminology. 
You know, for a, loss, for a person that does not come to faith yet, we call them lost. It slipped, all right? Sometimes it's a negative term, terminology. But, you know, we talk about lost and found. That's what we mean by lost, right? Uh, and so we, as we talk about this, have you received? What is, for an unbeliever, someone who doesn't know uh, who Christ is and they don't know the good news of the gospel, what does it mean to receive? Have you received Jesus? Well, I understand there's this Jesus guy out there that so many people, you know, worship and talk about, but I don't really know him. And, and what's this idea of a savior? What, what did I need to be saved from? So these are all great questions for people to ask. And you know what? People are asking the question, and we are the source of their answer as we rely upon the Word of God. So we can ask someone, have you received Jesus as your Savior? And they may have no idea what you're talking about. So maybe you ought to talk about it a little bit more in detail, all right? We know in John uh, chapter 1, verse 12, it says, But as many as received him, there's that word, to them he gave the right to become children of God. Well, how do we know we're a, children of, a child of God? It says, well, as many as received him, to them he gave the right. It wasn't something that they earned. It was, it was something that is given to them, and they have been given the right to become children of God. Uh, there, there are many faith groups, and well, we're all children of God, you know, in this very broad stroke way, and, it's, and the truth is, no, that's wrong theology. We're all God's creation, right? God created Adam and Eve, and we're all descendants. We're all creation of God. But listen, there is this idea that a genuine child of God is someone that has received Jesus Christ, text goes on, to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. So when, when you consider this uh, born of God, you know, the, uh, excuse me, were, that's basically what it's saying, he's born of God. That's how we were born, and we're going to look at that today in First John. But let's just go ahead and go through the gospel. We talked about this uh, this past week as a pastoral staff. Uh, this is a health, you're familiar with this, God, man, sin, death, Christ, cross, faith, life. Uh, is this the gospel? It's the outline of the gospel. And I thought that was a really helpful observation that uh, we are sharing. It's like, you know, listen, but listen, this is a tool to help all of us unite around the centrality of, the, of Jesus Christ as the pivotal figure of history that helps us understand how sinners can be in the presence of a holy God. God created man who fell into sin and brought death into the world. That's what the Bible teaches God sent his son, Jesus Christ, who died on the cross. He sent him to die on the cross as a propitiation, right? As, as, a, as a appeasing sacrifice. Uh, and then he, and he rose again, right? He died, buried, rose again. And those who have faith in him have everlasting life. You've heard me say it over and over again. And I'm going to continue to walk through it because this works for me. I remember Steve Wilkins saying, Pastor, you really need to, you need to find something that works for you. All right? Well, this works for me. But let's think about this for a second. What kind of a gospel is there if you don't have Christ? Can you have a gospel without Christ? Well, well, some people do, and, and, and it's not a real gospel. It's not the gospel. It's not the good news that is in our Bible, right? But think about this for a minute. If you take Christ out of this equation, you have death reigning over all of mankind, and you, you see the ugliness of the cross. I don't know what faith you're supposed to have because there's no Christ and there obviously would be no life. Without Christ, the rest of the, the, cro the cross, the faith and life are meaningless. Think about what, what Acts 4, 11 and 12 says. This is the stone, speaking of Jesus, which was rejected by you builders, 
which, he has become, which has become the chief cornerstone. Nor is there salvation in any other name, right? For there is no other name under heaven among men by which we must be saved. When we're sharing the gospel, right? When we're motivated as we get out of bed and saying, who, who, Lord, I'm, I'm going to start off. I'm like, who would you have me live the gospel out of my own life in front of today? So they might ask me the question, so what's different about you? And then I can share the words of life. I can share the good news of the gospel. And it says, there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. It is only in Jesus. Period. The end. So you must keep Jesus in the outline. You, you got to keep it there. But what if we took the cross out? Let's think about this for a minute. What if we took the cross out of the gospel? All right. Well, I think we'd also run into a problem because if Christ came and didn't die on the cross, then it probably means he died a natural death. And there's some people who believe that he, he got married and had kids and, you know, and, and, you know, there was no need for him to die on that cross. Well, that's not the gospel either. Because we're told in, in 1 Corinthians 1.18, for the message of the cross, remember going through that a year or more, two years ago, right? For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. The message of the cross is the power of God. That is, we're supposed to be carrying that message. We must keep the cross in the gospel outline. We've got to tell them that death is, a, is, is in the world and, and we needed someone to die in our place to appease God of sin for the, all the sin of all time. God, excuse me, Jesus Christ, God's son, the son of God, right? He died for you, for me. That's the gospel. That's what we focus on. Without the cross, we, we, have, we don't have a gospel. What if we take faith out? Now, this is getting a little closer to our text today. Now I'm talking to those who understand that God created man who fell into sin and brought death into the world and that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life, right? We understand that we, as Christ came and died on that cross, there's a response that's supposed to be taking place. For those that call themselves Christians, you must come to faith in this truth. If you are wondering, are you kind of like, I, I think I'm a child of God. I'm an American. I, I think I'm a child of God. I go to church. I, th I think I'm a child of God. I mean, I, I do good things. No. You have to have faith in the only name by which we can be saved. Jesus Christ is the Son of God, and what he did on that cross, only he could do. So we must have faith. It says in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. So we see, obviously grace is, is, is uh, bathing that entire good news, right? But we see there's this element of faith that must be kept in the outline, and I am calling you to faith. But it's not just me. God's calling you to faith this morning. If, the, if gospel motivation is the gospel is for every person at every moment, then we are supposed to be exercising faith in the gospel to come to faith, to come to a belief in Jesus Christ, to come to salvation. And as we live out our salvation, let's exercise our faith every day because it will lead to eternal life. So as we think about this, how do I know that I'm a child of God? Um, well, 
as we think about the gospel, have you received Jesus as your Savior? And now we have a context. Jesus is the name, and he died for your sins, and you must come to faith. So when you're talking to someone who doesn't know Jesus or wants to know Jesus, encourage them. Would you receive Jesus as your Savior? Would you welcome him into your life based upon who he is and what he did on your behalf? Would you recognize your good works are worthless? They don't appease God. Only the death of Jesus Christ on that cross of Calvary appeases God's wrath for sin. Because God laid his wrath on Jesus on the cross so that you and I wouldn't have to. That's good news. And invite people to come to faith in Jesus as their Savior from the penalty of sin. But listen, uh, you need to ask them, have they repented? You've got to deal with the sin thing. You gotta, and and you've got to ask, do you believe, right? Do you actually believe this thing? It's not just a matter of going through the outline and saying a prayer. You've got to have repentance. That's the turning from sin and turning to God, right? And that's the idea of do you believe? Have you come to faith? And, and so we see that in Mark 1, 14 and 15. Now, after John was put in prison, Jesus came to Galilee preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God. I love this, folks. So just pause here for a second and just enjoy this. Let this wash over you. This is what Jesus says. and saying, the time is fulfilled. He was preaching the kingdom of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. These are the words of Jesus Christ, right? I, I love this. Think, think about this, this verse. Well, I've already mentioned it, right? The, the, the gospel text, the one we always go to, John three sixteen. Whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life because of what God has done. And then look at this one, John six thirty seven, And that the Father gives me, excuse me, all, my glasses, right? All that the Father gives me, he uh, uh, will come to me. All that the Father gives me will come to me. And the one who comes to me, I will by no means cast out. When people are asking the question, am I a child of God? When they're self-reflecting, maybe, they, maybe they're going through a rough time, whatever it might be. Maybe they've been a, a Christian for a while, but they just have kind of lost this joy of the Lord. And they just, they're just not sure where they stand with God. Turn to John 6, 37 and understand that the one who comes to Jesus, he will never cast out. As a child, you are a child. And we're going to talk about this being a child of God uh, as we go through this text. So how do I know that I'm a child of God? We know because of the gospel, the truth of the gospel. But we also know, and this is, this is where I think we're going to get into the text of John a little bit more clearly. Is there a family resemblance? Am I a child of God? Well, is there a family resemblance? Well, we'll unpack that in a little bit. But I, I, I want to re- recall a time... Uh, as a brand new chaplain at Fort Bragg, uh, my battalion was having mandatory fun. And uh, your, your companies probably have that too, where, you know, everybody has to show up, right? And, uh, and, you know, we'll cook food and you're obligated. And then once the you know, time gets to a certain point, you get to leave and then have your own fun. But so we're there, we're all eating, we're having, we're having fun. And, and, and uh, I'm in the building and I, I don't even think, I didn't know my family was there yet. I've got my responsibilities and and one of my soldiers comes bursting through the door and says, Oh, chaplain, you can't deny that, little boy. Well, my family's here, right? My son, Wit, is here. And he amazingly looks like me. And poor, poor guy, right? And he was what, like five or six at that point? Um, three, four, five, six, seven. He was probably seven. And uh, there's a family resemblance. There are people in this room, and I will not call you out. 
Because it's not true of every family, but many families, you're like, oh, you're one of them, right? I know you because you got the facial features, you got the height, you got the whatever, the tone of voice, whatever. It's like, I know who you are. We have to ask ourselves, as children of God, which we are, if you come to faith in Jesus Christ, we'll see that in the text, is there a family resemblance? Is there some aspect of our life that would tell people we belong to the family of God? I, I, I use this one because this is the one that I use about my son all the time. An apple doesn't fall far from the tree. We're, we're doing FaceTime, and, and I'll, I'll make some mannerism or say something, and my daughter-in-law will just start cracking up. And I'm like, why? She goes, Wit does that all the time. And I'm like, because he's taking after me, right? But this is the big idea. Oh, actually, before we, we get to that one, um, listen, this idea of apple and fruit we are, notice this is true on multiple levels, uh, Matthew seven fifteen through 20. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Beware the false prophets. Um, excuse me, I just uh, didn't realize I highlighted it. Even so, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. And he concludes with this, Therefore, by their fruits you will know them. John, in his context, he's, 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 uh, he's, telling them, he's been telling the people there's these false prophets. Here in, in the Gospel of Matthew, we see Jesus saying, listen, this is how you're going to know those false prophets, those false teachers. They're going to generate some fruit that is not going to be godly fruit. And so we have to understand, as we think about our big idea, it's the idea a child of God displays the character of God. Is there a family resemblance? A child of God is going to di- display the character of God. It's, it's going to happen. Maybe not as clearly as we would want it to be, but I think that's some of what we're talking about as we look in this text. As we go through 1 John 2, we're going to look at five verses, 28 through chapter 3, verse 3. Let's just read them together. And now, little children, abide in him that when he appears, speaking of Jesus, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. If you know that he is righteous... You know that everyone who practices righteousness is born of him. Behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us, that we should be called children of God. Therefore, the world does not know us, because it did not know him. Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be, but we know that when he is revealed... We shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And everyone who has this hope, the hope of the gospel, in him purifies himself or herself just as he is pure. So we're going to cover these text, this text of Scripture, and we're going to stay in this idea of how do I know that I am a child of God. And I think in verse 28 and 29 we're going to see, how do we know? You seek to live in a way that honors him. There's something that's in you. It says, you know what, I, because of my faith in Jesus Christ, because of what he's done on my behalf, because of this new life that I've been given in Christ, I really have this inward to outward desire to honor him with my life. We see that living rightly before God, 
which is what I believe we're all called to do, but living rightly before God in the now, I say that a lot, but it's actually in the text twice this time, in the now, prepares you to be in his presence forever. There's this idea that the way we live now, God's going God's to call us to account. It has implications for a moment in the future, all right? And, and, and Joe, this is where I'm going to, I'm retracting my statement to you and Jeff the other day. I, I admitted that to Jeff earlier. And uh, so we'll see how this, what kind of conversation are spurred by this theology-wise. First John 2, 28 and 29, all right? So we say, and now, there's that word now. It is in the now. It is in the current. It is in the present. He's saying, John's saying that the little term of endearment, little children. We, we know John's eight, upper 80s, 90 years old. He's calling everybody a child, right? He says, hey, listen, I love you folks, you little ones. Abide in him. We've covered this. John has already said that we are to abide in Jesus. Well, how do we abide? Do you remember? We obey. To abide is to obey. If you love me, keep my commandments. Jesus says his commandments are not harsh. They're not heavy, right? Come to you all who are weak and heavy laden. I will give you rest, right? My, my yoke is easy. My burden is light. He's like, listen, I'm not, I'm not a taskmaster. He's like, listen, if you love me, keep my commandments. And, and specifically what we focused on, which I think John was focused on, was the love command. To love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, mind, soul, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. I mean, we're supposed to love each other. We're supposed to love like Jesus. So little children, abide in him. Obey, which means you're abiding. If you want to abide, obey. He says that when he appears, speaking of Jesus Christ, it says that when he appears, there's this future appearing of Jesus. Did you know Jesus is coming back? So often we, we focus on the gospel of the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus Christ. We forget the ascension and the return. He is ascended into heaven, seated at the right hand of the Father. He's our advocate. And he's coming again. And he's coming again to judge. And when he appears, this is something that the, the Christians in John's day, they were anticipating What's taking him so long? And 2,000 years later, what's taking him so long? And people have actually fallen into disbelief because they're like, well, if he hasn't come by now, he's just not coming. Oh, he's coming. It says that when he appears, he uses again at his coming. John is very focused. He's already said, you know, we're in the end times. We're in the last days, right? He says, listen, when he appears at his coming, we may have confidence, Right? And not be ashamed before him. What's he saying there? What's, what's, what's his point? So he uses this word confidence. And it's actually used in another text of scripture that I love. And it's uh, Hebrews 4.16. Hebrews 4.16 says, Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace. Has that ever been an encouragement to you? I don't know what life's throwing at me. I just don't get this. Life is so hard. Go to the throne of grace. How is it that my loved one has experienced such hardship? Go to the throne of grace. Not just go, boldly go. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. It's the same word. Boldly, confidence. It's the idea of, well, really, as you, as you look at the text, it's, it's the opposite of being ashamed. Do you realize that for children of God, we can, we can, when Jesus appears, whenever that is, it could be now or now. 
or a thousand years from now or 10,000 years from now, whatever, he, we don't know the time. But I will say this, when for all Christians who are genuine Christians who have come to faith in Jesus Christ, at his appearing, we have the ability to have confidence, to stand boldly in front of him. Who would have thunk that we would stand before a holy God? And yet, John's telling the believers there that you can have confidence, which is the idea of not being ashamed before him in his presence. So we're going we're gonna to develop this a little bit more. But I, I'm going to say this. Honor Jesus with your life, and you will stand unashamed when he returns. In this life, in the now, honor him. Am I a child of God? Well, I have this in, internal desire to honor him in, in, with my life then you're probably a child of God because that doesn't just happen, right? God has born you again. He says, honor Jesus with your life and you will stand unashamed when he returns. This, this idea of returning is huge. Uh, when we think of 1 Corinthians uh, 3, 10, uh, through, according to the, notice this, according to the grace of God which was given to me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation and another builds upon it. But notice this, But let each one, that's you and me, but let each one take heed how he builds on this foundation. For no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, or straw, each one's work, talking about you and me, will become clear, for the day will declare it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test each one's work as what sort it is. If anyone's work which he has built on it endures, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, yet so as through fire. Let me ask you something. Uh, what do you call the, um, the, the, the person who is at the bottom of his graduating class as a doctor. Come on, you know this one. Doctor, right? Old joke, right? Right? You call him doctor. He squeaked by. Is that the kind of Christianity that you desire to live? Is that the kind of Christianity that I... Is that, is that talking about gospel motivation? It's like, I squeaked into heaven. I'm a little singed, but I made it. Right? That's a pretty low bar. That's not the bar we're called to. We're, we're called to honor God in our life. And what it's saying here is, listen, we are, our, our lives are supposed to be characterized uh, by, the, by the works that are gold, silver, and precious stones. They survive the fire. We don't do good works to earn salvation. Our salvation enables us to do good works. And folks... Some of us are doing it, and some of us aren't. And there's going to come a time, according to this text, where our works after salvation, and this is where we got to be clear, we're not talking about doing good things to earn God's favor. We can't do that. We're saying that the works that we do after salvation, some of them are wood, hay, and stubble. And they're going to burn. They did not honor God. And, Father, and we know people who are, who are characterized by this. They're, they're caught up in their alcoholism. They're caught up in their drug use. They're caught up in their, their uh, looking at the wrong things, thinking the wrong things, being angry at the wrong people for the wrong reasons, and, and being all kinds of wickedness. And yet, 
I'm a Christian. We need to repent and believe. We need to be motivated by the gospel to understand that we are called to a higher bar. It's not just that we seek reward. No, we seek to honor God and then he gives rewards. If we're seeking the reward, that's selfish. He's saying, listen, there are those who are just making it through by fire. And so, and, and, and I'm, not gonna, I'm actually going to skip this one. I, I don't have time. I'm going long. So um, it, it is the idea. Living rightly before God now is only possible because you are his child. So you're wondering, am I a child of God? Well, if you're living rightly, if you, because of your salvation, you are doing those things that God has called you to do, then you're honoring him, and that's important for us to do, all right? But as we go on with this text, living rightly before God now is only possible because you are his child. Look what it says. Verse 29, if you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who practices righteousness is born of him. All right, let's walk through this text. First of all, it's an if clause. That means there's possible answers. Sometimes when you see that word in English, if, it's, uh, in the Greek, it's expecting a, a negative answer. If this, then that, but that's not going to happen. Sometimes it's expecting a positive answer. In other words, if this, then that, and it will be that, right? It's it. But this one right here, this is a, if you know that he is righteous, it's the idea that it's possible you don't know. It's possible. Notice that the you, it's not highlighted there, but the you is in the second person. John is not including himself in this. He's like, if you know that he's righteous, and it's possible that you don't, but if you do, he says, you know, you know. How do I know what I know? John's hung up on this word, but this is where the English translation does us a little bit uh, disservice because there's two different Greek words that are both characterized by no. And I'm so thankful for study because I was confused over this for a long time. Uh, until you get in and you see some of these nuances. What John is saying is if you know cognitively, if you know intellectually that God is righteous, that Jesus is righteous, right? If you know that is true, then you know experientially, right? The first one's intellectually, the second one's experientially. You know that everyone who practices righteousness is born of him. It's the idea of having book knowledge and street smarts. I know book knowledge. I know a lot of what's in here. But some of the hardest lessons I, I have learned are those that I've experienced because God brought me through them. John is saying, if you know that God is righteous, you know that everyone, do I have that highlighted? All right, you know that he is righteous. Yeah, you know that everyone, that's you and me, who practices righteousness is born of him. This is the first time. John's going to introduce this idea of being born of God here in this text. It's the first time it's used many times in the rest of the, of the epistles of, his, uh, of John's epistles, and we're going to see this uh, more often. But he's saying, listen, how do you know that you're a child of God? Well, you're born of him because you're practicing righteousness. But it's not just that. This is where people get confused. You have to go deep, right? A passion for God draws us deep into his word, right? This is, this is that, that idea of right doctrine. This is what we're supposed to understand here is that a life that is characterized by righteous living, not perfection, says everyone who practices I don't think he means practice as in practice your swing or anything like that. But it's the idea, know that anyone who, who practices righteousness, who is characterized by acting righteously, that's only coming from God. 
because you're born of him. That's this idea, this new birth that we have in Christ that John 3.16 talks about. And listen, it's the idea that we're supposed to live out our faith in such a way that it demonstrates that we are born of him. We are children of God because we are doing these righteous things. So how do I know that I'm a child of God? You seek to live in a way that honors him. And I pray that's what you're doing. And if you're not, if the shoe fits, repent, believe. Seek to live in a way that honors God. As we get into 1 John 3, 1 through 3, uh, we're going to see how do I know that I, that I am a child of God. You rejoice in the love of God like John. And I, I think, uh, let's see, we start at 1030 so I should be down by 11.45. We're going to have to do this really quick. How many of you, when you see this text, right? Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us. How many of you want to break out into song? Yay! How many of you don't feel like breaking out into song, but you know the song? Come on, raise your hands. You're, you know I'm going to ask you to sing, don't you? All right. All right, so I actually sang, sorry, she's grimacing right now. I actually sang for the early service, right? But it wasn't recorded. And, and, uh, but here we go, all right? I'm going to teach you a song, and I'm going to have some help in just a moment, right? So if you know this, it's the idea of, Behold what manner of love the Father has given unto us. Behold what manner of love the, God, the Father has given unto us, that we may become the children of God, that we should be called the children of God. Right? I think you might know it. You know it? Yes! Jamie, come on down. Ken, come on down. We're going to do a competition. It's the church versus the school versus IBM Global. I'll let you guys pick if you want that side or that side, but I get the middle. (laughs) All right. We're going to do this in a round. Are you ready for this? I hope you're enjoying this at home. All right. All right, so tell you what, since I know the song and they were already used to me, I'll start, then we'll go to you, and then we'll go to you, all right? And we'll see if this even makes sense, all right? So it's going to go, I'm going to say, behold what manner of love the Father has given unto us, and then as I start next, you're going to start. And as soon as you're finished that section, you're going to start. And I really hope this makes sense, all right? Uh Uh-oh, he's got it, he's got it. He's warming up. Oh, okay. (laughs) Hey, you know what? They both have great voices, all right? So listen, don't let them down, right? This is a competition. We better win. We're probably triple their size, okay? But you need to sing it out. If If you embarrass me, oh, okay. Here we go. Ready, folks? Behold what manner of love the Father has given unto us. Behold what manner of love the Father has given unto us. That we should be called the children of God. That we should be called the children of God. Behold
Behold what manner of love the Father has given unto us. Behold what manner of love the Father has given unto us. That we should be called the children of God. That we should be called the children of God. You only did it once. You guys are great troopers. I sprung it on them before the service. They didn't know. All right, you guys can have a seat. So, all right. So think about this for a second. What, what was this point, right? You rejoice in the love of God like John. All right, so that took a little extra time. Give me an extra minute or two. Are you gospel motivated? Are you gospel motivated? When we rejoice... Do we rejoice like this? Woohoo! No! We sing it out. We're like John. John's beside himself. Behold, he says, behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us. That idea of behold is look, hey, can I get your attention? There's something awesome going on. What's John so excited about? The love of the Father has given. The love the, 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 of God that has been poured out on him and poured out on all Christians of all time. We don't come to church in some dead you know, church that just is interested in just coming here and checking a block. We come here to honor the Father who has given us his love that we did not deserve. Behold! Jesus is our Savior. He is the Son of God, and He died for you. Why are we so ashamed to tell people about Jesus? We shouldn't be. We should be excited. It's the idea, how do I know I'm a child of God? Can you rejoice in the love of God like John? Yes, you can. If we will overcome the fear of man, if we will overcome all the little uh, traps that are being laid for us by uh, the wiles of the devil. We can rejoice like this. So let me encourage you to rejoice like this, all right? But it goes on, and we see that how do I know that I, I am a child of God? Your godly way of life is rejected by those around you. That's one of the ways we know. It's a negative thing, right? And that's what, that's what John says. He says, listen, we have this great love, therefore the world does not know us. In other words, it doesn't get us. It doesn't understand us. They, they, they look at us and they think, wow, you guys are whacked out, all right? But he says, it's not you, it's me. He says, the world does not know us corporately because it did not know him. Remember, John chapter 1, Jesus came into the world to his own, and his own received him not. He was rejected by the very people that should have recognized him. May we not commit the same sin. How do I know that I'm a child of God? The idea of seeing Jesus excites you. So, so we're, we got through this really quick. So let, me, let me go back. All right. So this idea the world does not know us is lived out day by day by many Christians. Maybe it's you, maybe it's not. But if you're not experiencing the world, and that, this is, these are wonderful people, right? Because God so loved the world, right? This is, this is talking about the world that's rejected. That's the negative part. But the actual people of the world that Jesus loved and came for, right? Those people, they don't know Jesus. 
And, and we, need to, we need to be the ones to love them by, by sharing this truth. All right? The world does not know us. And, and we need to be the messengers of the gospel. So lastly, we see, how do I know that I'm a child of God? The idea of seeing Jesus excites you. If Jesus were to show up right now, in the now, would you be like, or hiding your face? The idea of seeing Jesus excites you. That only comes from a changed life from within and, and, and a maturing life of faith. He says, beloved, now we are children of God. This is very important. There's that word now again. Now we are children of God. This is, this is a done deal. And it has, oh, excuse me, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be. John is basically saying, listen, we are children now, but there's this future. He transitions from looking at the past. You're like, listen, you've believed what you believed. Now I'm encouraging you to understand that that belief has, has blossomed in the life in Christ. He goes, but now, since we are the children of God, I don't have it highlighted, but it says, and it has not yet revealed, it has not yet been revealed what we shall be. There's a future for us. At the appearing of Jesus, there's a future. But we know that when he is revealed, again, that's one of those beliefs that why this section goes from 28, chapter 2 to verse 3, is this idea that he's talking, he brings up this idea of the revealing of God, of Jesus Christ again. But we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. What does it mean to be like Jesus? Well, you're going to live out some of this righteousness that he's talking about here. You're going to live out some of this purity all right? You're going to know the Father. Uh, you're, going to have, you're, you're going to be sinless. When he appears, we're done, right? That, this is, this is uh, God bringing all things together. But he says, we are the children of God, and therefore we shall be like him, because we're going to see him just as he is. He is holy. This isn't Jesus of, of, of the disciples' years, right? This is post-death, burial, resurrection, ascension Jesus, who's sitting at the right hand of the Father. He's going to come, and we are going to be in his presence for eternity. And so we don't know exactly what this looks like, but John's kind of hanging it out there as an incentive for impacting the way we live. So often people are worried about God showing up for judgment. Well, that should, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. That shouldn't motivate us to, to shy away from God. Repent from your sins. Claim the freedom that you have in Christ. Live out that freedom, right? Hey, there's another principle we value, right? Can anyone say it? What's this principle? Living out our faith, all right? Can you say it? I thought I heard somebody. Our liberty and their language brings God glory. Woohoo! Our liberty, all that we have in Christ. We're children of God. We don't know exactly what it's going to look like, but it's going to be great. And we actually get to experience some of this now. And so let's go ahead and live this out now because there's a day when he comes and we're going to see him just as he is. And, and, it's not, and we're not going to hide in shame. How do I know that I'm a child of God? The idea of seeing Jesus excites you and you choose to live for him. That's, that's really that last portion there. It says, and everyone who has this hope in him. Notice this. This hope that we have, it pure, he uh, purifies himself just as he is pure. There's this idea that 
We are supposed to be people of response to the grace of God. God graciously has sent forth his son into the world to be a propitiation for our sins, right? He's paid our sin debt. We're supposed to respond to that, not just with a prayer, but with our lives. Our lives. And he's saying, listen, everyone, that's you and me, everyone who has this hope, this hope of the gospel, the hope, that's the only time, I understand, that's the only time the word hope is used in all of John's writings. I hope that commentator wasn't wrong because I just said it. But I think that's amazing. This hope, this gospel hope that's supposed to motivate us is supposed to cause something to happen. He says, and everyone who has this hope in him, this hope in Jesus, we are supposed to be people who are characterized by purifying ourselves because he is pure. And and this really just goes with the the, the same idea as as we, uh, there it goes. A child of God displays the character of God. Is godly character evident in your life? You can look at your own life, but listen to those around you. Are are they saying that you are a godly character? Are unbelievers feeling loved by you? Are they feeling like, well, that guy calls him a Christian. I know Christians don't really do that kind of stuff. That's where we need to repent and believe. Let's own this one as we go out into the world. Father, we thank you for this time that we can gather together. Lord, I praise you for your word and for the power that that it brings uh, to life. Uh, Father, I thank you for these wonderful people, and I thank you for the the gift of song. There's so many songs that we sang today that point to your care and your love. Father, thank you that we can rejoice in our salvation. Thank you that we can look unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Father, thank you that we know that from, the, from Genesis to Revelation, your plan A has always been plan A. You call people to yourself. They are born again when they come to a knowledge of Jesus Christ and understand what he has done on their behalf. And we pray, Father, that you would bring people to yourself through this local body, from these still maturing Christians, all of us, we have not arrived. Help us to overcome our fears in faith. Help us to seek relationships with those who are in need of a Savior so that we might be your vessels for the gospel. Father, we praise you for this, uh, for this challenge. We praise you for this text of Scripture. And Father, as we consider this truth that it are, as, ch- as children we're supposed to reflect your character, Lord, may you do your work as we think through. Is that really happening? So Father, we are children of God. We are your children if we've come to faith. Bring new children, we pray, but mature the children that are here through the power of your word. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.